Welcome, everybody, to our second episode of the Transcript Podcast. We did our first one last week, and it was a wrap-up of 2020. We got a lot of good feedback from our listeners. Thank you to everybody who uh, wrote in and is supportive of this new effort. We're really excited to be doing this. So today you have me, Scott Krisloff. I'm the editor of the Transcript, and Eric Mokaya, who is our lead author. And each week we're going to go through the post that we made for the week and highlight some of the top trends that we're seeing and give a little bit more insight into what we're seeing out in the economy using the transcripts that we read each week. So I'll start us off this week. The post this week, the macro section, which is our kind of overview of what's happening in the economy section, was focused primarily on vaccine rollouts. I think that this is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing going on in the economy right now, just because it signifies that the COVID era is hopefully coming to a very quick end. CVS gave some good insight into the rollout of the vaccine. I think the numbers that I saw here were surprising to me in terms of the size, because it seemed like vaccines were rolling out a lot slower than people were hoping. But you know, millions of vaccines have been administered. One of the biggest surprises to me, or one of the noteworthy comments that CVS made, was that one of the reasons that vaccines were rolling out so slowly is because they were going to long-term care facilities first. And those are a tough location logistically to roll out vaccines to, because there's about 80 people per facility. So this whole time they've been able to vaccinate a million people. And CVS's CEO said, you know, going forward, we'll be able to vaccinate a million people a day. So I think we're right at a cusp here of mass vaccination. And I think it's going to be a massive thing for the global economy, certainly. Very optimistic. Yeah. I think uh, to add to that, uh, we saw CVS say that they, they are developing a scheduling digital tool for vaccines where you can log in to schedule your vaccination. And then it will be like a round trip ticket. So you're able to also get your second scheduled appointment and then you'll follow up with some tests and a phone call. Uh, so a very positive development so far in terms of uh, health uh, care and vaccines. We also saw like a lot of huge pent-up demand that is waiting to be unleashed on the basis of some of these vaccines being rolled out. So the faster they are rolled out, the better it is for the economy. Um, so I think something else that I picked up this week uh, from the banks themselves, because uh, banks started reporting earnings in earnest. And the key thing we noted is that the banks, are, as you said, Scott, last week, and you predicted it correctly, that banks actually had over-reserved. So I think they're now drawing down on some of those reserves and... I think JP Morgan released $3 billion worth of reserves this quarter across wholesale and home lending. City released an SEL of around $1.5 billion. Wells Fargo also had a release of around $757 million, but that was in relation more to their student loan portfolio, which they sold. So all in all, like banks are releasing some of the reserves, but they still have some substantial reserves still in place. There wasn't that much right on about the revenues, but I think there is a story about credit metrics. Credit metrics are looking good. The, the banks indicated that customers are doing quite well, even better than they expected, given that it's a pandemic period. We expect more banks to report this week, so we'll be on the lookout for if they also be releasing some of the results that they've already set last year. Any thoughts on that, on what you said last week? Yeah, I mean, I think just to add uh, to what you were saying on the bank side, two pieces of kind of not super new, but supporting information to that. Um, one, 
was just the mind-blowing statement from Wells Fargo that charge-off rates, actual charge-off rates are still at multi-year lows, which is just, again, mind-blowing considering the economic environment that we're in um, and the K-shaped recovery you would expect a lot of charge-offs starting to, to grow for sure. You know, you compare that to Citi saying that 4% of their loans are, are reserved in the loan loss allowance. Like that's, that's reserving for a very significant amount of charge-offs. And so if those aren't materializing, you know, 28 billion in reserves is what Citi said they have. That's a lot of capital that's excess capital or excess reserves. And so that is the other important point here is that Citigroup already saying that they remain well capitalized, that they have excess capital and they're ready to return it to shareholders. That can be a major catalyst for banks. Honestly, the banks have not really been able to return their earnings in full power since the financial crisis. It's been over a decade um, since the banks were really able to pay dividends and buy back shares in, in relation to their earnings power. And I think that could be a significant catalyst for banking stocks going forward, because these things are really cheap still. I mean, I think Wells Fargo has like 130 billion market cap or something like that. The banks are really cheap. One striking thing that I also noted is that uh, most of the money that came through from, I think, the stimulus also, I think a lot of it has also gone into helping the banks grow their deposits. And I think JP Morgan noted that there's a 30% year-over-year year growth in the, the deposit that they have. So I think banks have a lot of liquidity, they have a lot of capital, and I think they, as they restart their share buyback programs, there is a lot of power in them to do well this year, I'd say. Moving on, and apart from the banks themselves, an issue also that we saw arise was Jamie Dimon spent a lot of time during this earnings call and unusually long time discussing fintech and the threat they, they pose. Do you have any thoughts on that, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think you picked up a really great quote from Jamie Dimon that's a long quote with a lot of things that's wrapped into it. I'm just going to read parts of it. I think we're facing a gen- an old generation of newer, tougher, faster competitors. And if they don't buy the rails of JP Morgan, they can buy rails of someone else. I expect it to be very, very co- tough competition in the next 10 years. I expect to win, so help me God. But absolutely, we should be scared shitless about that. I think that last part of the quote is really, really important. It's Jamie Dimon's admission that these fintech competitors pose a real risk to the big banking institutions in the United States. And I think that within Silicon Valley and venture circles, that has been an expectation for a long time. And actually one of the reasons that bank stocks have traded at such low multiples and are so cheap, but to have Jamie Dimon, he's, you know, the top banker in America acknowledged that this is a real concern, that fintech could, to his point, use somebody else's rails rather than JP Morgan's rails is a really, really important insight. And the fact that he said, you know, we should be scared shitless about it shows exactly how severe this threat is to him. I think uh, something else, he took a list of the fintech companies and their valuations and show them to his managers a little early in the quote just to kind of spur them into action to do something about this i think he's very he said that if he would spend on anything he would spend on this to get it done faster so i think there is a real threat and banks are acting on it to go back to the earnings power of these large institutions that the jp morgan's bank of america's wells fargo's 
there's no shortage of capital that they can invest in these problems, you know, $40 billion a year in earnings or whatever JP Morgan is producing now can go a long way towards breaking fintech competitors. But the problem is, can the institution move with the speed and the intensity in order to fight back against an insurgent competitor? And in most other, in, in pretty much every other industry, that has not been something that they've been able to do. And I think the quote we put under Jamie Dimon's about two quotes about Bitcoin, one from Lagarde and another from Jack Dorsey, that's actually probably the softest underbelly at the flank of the American financial system. The banks actually have this symbiotic relationship with, again, the federal government in that our financial system really is all a network based off of the US dollar and the US government. And to the extent that there's this like super currency, extra governmental currency and Bitcoin that's growing an increasing network of supporters represents a real threat to that whole network, to, to the government network, to the currency network. And, you know, the question is, will governments and these institutions fight back against it? Or will, will something like this end up taking over? It certainly could. There's a lot of reasons it shouldn't too, but it certainly could. Yeah, I think Christine was very clear that uh, these are very highly speculative assets. So it's a kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, uh, Jack Dorsey was very positive about it. And Christine Lagarde was saying that there should be regulation on this. So I think it's a real threat. I think from Bitcoin, from fintech across all this uh, for banks and for even the established institutions. So those were really interesting quotes, kind of going along with the regulatory stuff. Just wanted to point out that I think another story of the week was one that's not surprising, but one we should always be tracking of Jerome Powell reiterating that the time to raise rates is no time soon. I think why it's worth highlighting here is because there were other Federal Reserve governors who started to suggest that maybe it was time to start tapering at the beginning of last week. And then I think by the end of the week, Jerome Powell came in and really gave some definitive statements around that conversation. And so you have to put an extra weight on whatever the chairman says, but it's it's a developing story that could be a really important thing to markets in 2021 if the Fed does start to taper. But again, don't expect that based on Jerome Powell's comments. My final thought was mostly to do with the solar winds attack of December holidays. And it has made a lot of companies sit up and take note. Most of the companies, what they're saying is that there is a real threat. I think CrowdStrike says that they deal with 4 trillion security events per week, which to put that in context is almost the same number of tweets that Twitter has in an entire year. I think that's a real concern for a lot of companies. So a lot of uh, boards are starting to require CIOs to give them uh, regular reports on how they different parts of the ecosystem are doing in terms of security. So I think that's also a a trend to track. And even as we see data moving more to the crowd, generally companies also want to make sure that the data is secure and that there are no real threats to that. So I think that's also a a trend to keep track of as we uh, wind up. Yeah, certainly. I think that was a really good set of quotes that you pulled out at a really important trend to be tracking, just security spend in general, cybersecurity trend. I think, again, the urgency of those quotes stood out to me as something that this solar winds hack had 
instigated some change in the way that people were thinking about security. And that four trillion number, I'm not even sure what that really means, but it's a it's a big number, obviously. It is, it is, it is. I, I wish it was more clear what exactly he meant. But I think in terms of, I, th- I think I, I just listened to the CrowdStrike CEOs. I think one of the CEOs of the security companies also say some similar numbers, very big in terms of how much they earn per day in terms of two billion kind of. So I think it's it could be small, big. Sometimes they could differ in terms of scale, but I think the... I think the numbers clearly tell you there's something going on and that they need to pay attention to it, I think. And that's a key aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there's a lot of good stuff in this week's post. I don't think we're going to get to all of it today, but I think this was a good rundown of some of the key highlights and some key themes and and trends. There's certainly some investable themes that you can pick up in this week's post. And some of those are ones that we highlighted here. So I think we'll probably wrap up here though. And once again, invite reader comments and questions. You know, if you have anything to add to the conversation from today, if Eric and I missed something that you think would be helpful for us to to understand better, please feel free to reach out. And also questions. We'd love to feature some reader questions each week on this podcast. And so please feel free to to connect. We're we're really excited and eager to to talk to our our readers and listeners. If you're enjoying the podcast, also please please go ahead and give us a rating on Spotify or the iTunes, the podcast, whatever the platform is, what would it be called? Spotify. Uh, (laughs) You can do it. It's uh, it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So and any other platform that is out there. That's good. Yeah. Please, please review the podcast. That'll help with search algorithms. Yeah. And also just be forwarding the work to friends in general, people who you think would, would like this. That's probably the best way to say thank you to Eric and, and me for our work. But thank you to all of you for, for listening and engaging.